Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, we just look to you to do what only you can do in our hearts and lives today. Lord, we ask that we would do our part, that we would worship you, we would lift up your name, Lord, that we would keep your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn to what should be a very familiar passage to you, Mark chapter, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. We want to look at the several last verses of uh, Matthew chapter 6. Um, not sure how many of you are keeping up with the world events and what's going on around us, but most often it is, it is uh, talked about if we sit on a powder keg. How many of you have heard some news commentator say that? And uh, uh, that is a term that's often used, but uh, I really dare say most of us do not understand what that means. We just know that it means we're in danger, that it might blow up or something like that. But uh, the term actually comes... In the old days, long before the turn of the last century, when uh, the only available gunpowder type of gunpowder was called black powder. You can still get black powder today, but uh, you need to understand something. What you get today is not what they had in the olden days. Um, their uh, explosions at the factories where gunpowder was made was common. Uh, that's why they built the factories in such a way that when one of the presses blew up making the gunpowder, they would just uh, uh, keep it going in another part of the factory while they were rebuilding that one. It was dangerous stuff. Uh, you often see in the old movies, the pirate goes down into the powder hold and lights a candle and sets it there and the candle sets off a fuse and blows everything up uh, Mm -mm. If he was in a real powder magazine 150 years ago and he struck a match, the whole ship would have went up immediately. Uh, black powder is dangerous. One tiny spark. Black powder, you see, doesn't burn. It explodes. It is more volatile than gasoline. It is extremely dangerous. And one... People say, yeah, we're sitting on a powder keg, you, you know. They really don't understand what they're saying. Even though they are much more accurate in their description of the world in which we live than they would like to even have nightmares about. I, I want to challenge you to understand something, and this is something we know, something we go over. How many of you believe that this book is the Word of God? Amen? How many of you believe that the things that are prophesied in this book are going to happen? Amen? How many are terrified about that event? Amen? Uh, Jesus described those days in Matthew chapter 24 by saying, And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh survive. And so as we listen to the news, as we watch what goes on <clears throat> in the world around us, it would be unwise not to have some concern over these things. But what should we as Christians do? You know, I, I've heard... People talk, and, and many of our politicians, if only we could, to fill in the blank. Um, how many of you remember Ron Paul running for president a few years ago? Uh, a lot of people liked him, and uh, uh, this is my opinion, I'm just giving it, but Ron Paul was the man of the hour if the year was 1929. The things that he proposed and the things that he wanted to do would destroy this nation if they were done today. 
Because you can't change history. Someone said, I, I would, well, if, if President Obama would just listen. Uh, has he called you on the phone lately? That should be your first clue that he's really not interested in listening to you. Amen. And oftentimes, preachers, we get together in fellowship meetings and we sit down and talk about, you know, things would be different if... Well, uh, let me tell you, that if is a huge word. But what are we supposed to do? The answer is here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' instruction to those who would be a part of his kingdom. And if we start here in verse uh, 31, it says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed, or who shall we vote for in the original, of course. Uh, for all these things, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need. Of all these things. Do you believe that? I do. I believe that God is still in charge. I believe that he knows what's best. He knows what our needs are. Now he's going to give us instruction. And we know these verses. Most of us could quote these verses. If you can, quote it with me. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, if you like titles uh, of messages, the message this morning is titled Sufficient Unto the Day. Now, that word sufficient means enough. It means what is necessary. If you have sufficient to pay your bills, that means that the bills are paid. If you have insufficient funds, then you get nasty letters from the bank and from the people to whom you wrote the check. Jesus is giving us, he says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying there's enough things going on today that you had better not waste your time trying to take care of tomorrow. And um, I think there was a song just popped into my head. Uh, what is it? Don't let the clouds of tomorrow take the sunshine of today. A uh, little song that uh, the Assurance Trio from Heartland sang. And I mean, it's just ringing through my head right now as I'm preaching. And, and, you know, a lot of times what happens is we lose today because we're trying to prepare for tomorrow. When it actually needs to be the other way around. Have you ever wondered why in the book of Genesis it says the evening and the morning were the first day and why all of us go the morning and the evening were the first day? Well, it's man's natural response to reverse the order that God sets up. You see, if we took this evening and prepared for tomorrow. Well, actually, let's back up. If we took yesterday evening and totally prepared for this morning, it would have been a whole lot easier to be here on time. Amen? If we were to take this evening and prepare for the great blizzard of 2014, all four inches of it. I, I don't know how much. Uh, it always makes me nervous when they say there's not going to be snow. Because that's when we get clobbered. 
So if you wake up and there's 36 inches of snow on the ground in the morning, remember something. God is still in charge. Amen? You see, the Lord wasn't just giving us nice words to sing songs about. He was giving us instruction for daily living. That last verse says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. It says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Now, when you see the word therefore, wherefore, because of, and different phraseology in your Bible, what it's saying here is, here is the reason why we ought not be worried about tomorrow. Why we ought not let the pressures and things of tomorrow control our activity today. Well, what's the therefore? Well, go back one verse. There is seek ye first, but seek ye first. Now, the but is connecting. Different direction. You see, what is the little bumper sticker? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. The thing is, we, we go to work because we have to. Right? Now, you know what? The Bible says that we ought to work. That it is honorable, that it is godly to work and pay bills. That maintains a good testimony. It is important to do those things. But that ought not be the primary purpose in our life. It says here that we are to seek not after the things that the Gentiles, and as that word is used there, it's used in deference to those who are God's people, who are serving God. And, and so, if you do not have God controlling your life, your life is not governed by the words of this book right here. Uh, that word Gentile then applies to you. And all you can do if you're not governed by the Word of God is govern yourself by the things that are in society. Are we agreed on that? I mean, that's not a new thought to anyone, I am sure. But the Bible says the things that govern the unsaved are not the things that are to govern the life of the saved. I am not just seeking, quote-unquote, the American dream. And I want to challenge you today that the American dream has been a nightmare for many more people than it has been enjoyable. And it has led people astray from the things of God because they said, if I can just have this, if I can have a house, if I can have my, my bills paid and I can have my... Uh, uh, and it depends on what part of the country you, you are from... Uh, in New York City, two snowmobiles and a pickup truck would not do you a whole lot of good. But in rural Maryland, where I grew up, that was, I mean, that was living. Even though you could only use the snowmobiles three or four days a year, just to have them was the sign that you had met affluence. Uh, because if you had snowmobiles, you certainly had a riding lawnmower in the garage. And so, I mean, everything was cool. Uh, different parts of the country mean different things. But is that what drives you? The Bible says we're not to seek the things which the Gentiles seek. You know, some people just, their seeking is the next deal. The next, uh, ladies, forgive me, the next pair of shoes. 
on discount. My daughter was prancing around the house. I got brown boots and everybody's jealous. (laughs) Okay. I, I just don't get it and I don't want to. All right. Forgive me. uh, And it's okay to have brown boots. That's not what we're talking about. But if that's what drives you, then something's wrong. You see, the Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. I, I want you to know there's a lot of kingdoms in this world. And let's just take the most base definition, the simplest definition. A kingdom is the realm which the king controls. We have a phrase. His house is his kingdom. And let me tell you something. You go out in the Midwest, you better be careful. Walking on someone else's kingdom. Uh, It could be life-threatening. I visited a a man. Fortunately, he was a friend. But uh, as you drove in his driveway, he had a set of, uh, uh, I hope, defunct 50 caliber machine guns. One on each side of the driveway. And as you drove into the house, there was another set just staring, right, I mean, pointed right at you as you drove up his driveway. Uh, slightly intimidating, except for the fact that he had invited us over and he was going to let us shoot guns and have a good time. That was fun. But I will tell you, I was still just a little nervous looking at the muzzle of, the, and I know it wasn't loaded, and I know the, the barrel was welded shut and all of those things, but it still just made you a little nervous. But I'll tell you what, you better be careful. What kingdom? There are many people trying to build kingdoms here on earth. That's one of the base, and when I mean base, I mean lowest common denominator of what cults are all about. It's about people trying to build kingdoms. Someone said, aren't the Baptists a cult? No. We're not a cult because Jesus is the king. You see, every cult has a man leader, a human leader. I, shouldn't, I should say human because some cults have lady leaders and some cults have men leaders and some cults have little groups of people that lead them. The Bible says we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, what happens if you show up in a kingdom... In the realm of the king, pretending to be a citizen of that kingdom when you're not. Uh, We have a word for that. We call them spies. Isn't that correct? I mean, when you show up in the realm and authority... Uh, of a kingdom, of a, and let's go back to medieval. Uh, you show up in the castle of the king dressed as one of his squires or one of his servants, and you are not, and you were discovered. What was the first thing that happened? Uh, it was called death or imprisonment if they were really designed to be kind to you, but uh, you were in trouble. Now, Jesus wants people to be a part of his kingdom. But you can't be a part just by showing up. Sometimes I've had people say, Pastor, I'm a member of the church, aren't I? I come every Sunday. No, that's not how you be a member of the church. You have to choose. 
to be a member of the church. You've got to give scriptural testimony of your salvation. And you have to be baptized the Bible way. Now, we're not trying to be overly particular about that. But the authority for baptism is in the Word of God. And so, if you're baptized in an organization that doesn't teach the Word of God the way it does here, we we just don't consider that baptism any more than we would consider um, someone being loyal uh, uh, to the United States showing up in the uniform of a nation we were at war with. Uh, That's not the way that it works. If you're under the proper authority, have no problem with those things. You get saved the Bible way, you get baptized under the authority of the Bible. And we live that authority by preaching and teaching the Word of God. You see, if I'm going to be a part of His kingdom in heaven... I ought to be obedient to him on earth. Means you got to be saved. Means you need to be baptized. It means that my life, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. John, if you've read through the book of First, second, and third John, he repeated this uh, constantly in those three short books. That if you say you love God and you hate your brother, that you can see how can you love God whom you cannot see. Uh, You cannot have it both ways. This idea of a kingdom means being and living in the realm of the authority of the king. Being under his command and living at his direction. That's why the second phrase is in here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then the word and is there, and his righteousness. Now, people have treated those as two separate things. But, uh, maybe I can illustrate it this way. How many can just wave their right hand in the air? Could you just do that for a second? Just humor me for a minute. And then scratch your head. Okay? Little Simon says here. Now, I want you to do both first. See, you can't do both first. Because it's two different things. So, is Jesus contradicting himself when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or... Is he telling us how to seek the kingdom of God first? By seeking his righteousness. Are they both actually two different ways of saying exactly the same thing? Amen? You see, if I'm seeking his righteousness, what am I doing? I am placing myself under the authority and the direction of the king. It's not separate things. It's the same thing. That's why I can do them both first. There's no contradiction in seeking his kingdom and in seeking his righteousness. And all God's people said? You see, the reason why I can take no thought for the morrow is because I am to take today and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness 
And if I am doing that, guess what? There's nothing left over to do anything else with. That is an all-consuming task. There's nothing left over. You say, but if that's true, then, Pastor, how can I do my job? Well, wait a minute. Can I seek His kingdom and His righteousness by performing well at work? Well, if you're a bartender, no. You have to get another job. But if you're working and doing anything that is in agreement with the Scripture, you could do it as unto the Lord, is the way the Apostle Paul put it. If you're a teacher, teach as unto the Lord. If you're a banker, bank as unto the Lord. If you're a janitor, sweep and clean as unto the Lord. If you're a salesperson, you can sell as unto the Lord. If you have some kind of service job, you can serve as unto the Lord. You know what? There is not a type of work that man has ever had that you can't cheat at. Isn't that true? I mean, the 20-minute bathroom break. The, I'm on the phone with the client when you're catching up on news from an old friend. The, I'm researching for the company as you're shopping for your Christmas presents on the boss's tide. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can skirt around And simply the easiest one is not doing our best job. How many times has it been said? Oh, forget about that. It's good enough. Well, it might be good enough for government work, which doesn't take much. It might be good enough to please the boss, but is it good enough to be seeking His kingdom, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. If it isn't, maybe we ought to rethink of how we are doing our work. Amen? You say, well, why is that so important? Because the Bible says that's the key. The first part of the verse is the key to the second part of the verse. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what's that next and say? And all these things. What things? The things that the Gentiles are seeking for. Your food, your raiment, the ability to pay your bills, the, the life that you want to live. All these things shall be added unto you. Does that mean that God's going to give you a brand new car every year and a fur coat and, and all this? And somebody said, wouldn't you like one of those cars over there? I said, no. If it doesn't come 15 passenger, it's absolutely non-topical for right now. Now, when all of the kids move out of the house, um, they might look forward to getting into something just a little smaller. I don't know, but uh, that's going to be a while. You see, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Why? Because God is going to take care of you if you will do the business that God has given you to perform. Question number one, am I a citizen of the kingdom? There's only one way to become a citizen of his kingdom. The Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
You've got to be born into his family. By the way, God does the birthing, not you. That's why he calls it being born again. He doesn't clean up the old life and remake it. He gives you a brand new life. You see, when we take to ourselves to determine our futures, we most often destroy today. And how many examples could we give of that? I mean, we could talk about a president who was so concerned about his legacy that he wasn't paying attention to the things that he is now most known for. None of which are very good. Talking about former President Clinton. So you love to pick on him. No, I don't. It was a tragic chapter in American history when that man was elected president. It's a sad, sad day when we glory in economic prosperity and try to ignore moral decay. They're related, my friend. And we're paying for it today. You see, this doesn't mean that we don't live with the future in mind. But the future that ought to be in mind is the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this earth. Amen? You see, take no thought, therefore, for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Now, let's just touch on this for a minute. How many of you have planned certain things to happen? And then all of a sudden, it all changes. How many, if that's happened to you, would you just raise your hand? I mean, you just put everything down the way, this is, Lord, this is, I'm praying, I, I believe this is your will, this is what I would like to happen and, and Lord, I'm, I'm surrendering to you on all of these things. But we get upset when the Lord changes all the plans, don't we? Well, maybe we weren't near as surrendered as we thought we were to the will of God. You know what? God has the authority and the right to change your plans if he so desires. Well, am I just a little puppet on the end of the string? No. The Bible says the key is me making decisions to stop seeking after the things of this earth and the things that I can put my hands on and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then there's a promise in there that He's going to take care of all the rest of it. Because every day is different. And then he ends this verse with sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, we don't like to think that way. But I just want to challenge you, if we could use a biblical illustration, could we talk about the life of David for a moment? Wasn't David a great king? But let's go back before he was king. Just a teenage boy. His father calls him in from the field and said, I want you to take this food to your brothers. You see, the army in, in King Saul's day was not organized like ours is today. You couldn't carry all the food that you would need. And if you read the chapter there, they had been there about a month going out to battle every day until Goliath showed up. 
They got in the trench, they put their armor on, they sharpened all the swords again, and they go marching off, and then Goliath starts his challenge, and they all about fish, and walk back and hide in the trenches. That was their thing every day until a little teenage boy showed up, and he heard the challenge. He said, aren't you going to fight? Not me. But don't you understand? He's not defied you. He's defied God. God's the one that's going to fight. Uh, that's okay. You fight. And all of a sudden, a teenage boy found out that he was the only one in the field of battle, man enough, to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And... Uh, who fell that day? Uh, it wasn't only Goliath, my friend. It was the entire armies of the Philistines fell that day. You know, that's why they sung that little chant on the way home, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, if David had been one of those strategic thinkers which would be almost impossible for a teenage boy to be, he would have realized that that could spell an awful lot of trouble for me. But you know what? He didn't. And God brought him through all of that trouble because he continually chose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He went from being the youngest chief of staff of the armies of Israel, in charge of everything, to being a captain over a hundred. And then he went from being a captain over a hundred to an outcast and banished from his own country and his own people, living in caves and hiding from the wrath of Saul. Yet God protected him, did he not? You know, if God told you everything that was going to happen, you'd quit right now. I think of a young preacher I knew very well who moved to New York City to start a church. And I'm so glad God didn't tell me all the things that were going to happen. It's a whole lot easier on this end to rejoice about the great miracles that the Lord did in helping us buy the building. But I will tell you, it was not that much fun living through those times. Faith can be terrifying. But I will tell you this. That if you will choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, instead of how in the world is God going to raise the $150,000 we're short on our building payment in 1999, it's a whole lot safer. You see, God took care of the bill. He did so in quite stupendous fashion. I got an email from a gentleman that said, well, check's in the mail. Hope it helps. Well, it sure did. It was for $150,000. That was pretty cool. You say, do you want to, don't you want to see those kind of miracles every day? I don't know that my heart could stand it. I, I want to, just trying to be transparent here. To be put in that place was not pleasant. To walk the check to the bank. <laughs> now that was fun. But the reason we don't see the miracles is because we're not seeking first the kingdom. And his righteousness. You can't prepare for tomorrow.
because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we're talking about snow. Somewhere between none and 20 or 30 inches. Prepare, my friend. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in church tonight where I ought to be and serving the Lord. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to sleep well. And when I wake up, whatever's there is going to be there and I will have nothing to have done with it. Now, if there's 30 inches of snow on the ground, Stephen has not yet recovered uh, from his surgery to handle that kind of snow. So guess who's going to? Me and my back brace. Amen? A little bit of time. Take it easy. But I, I don't expect that. We'll see what the Lord is going to do. Amen? You see, there are enough opportunities to fail today. And if we fail today, guess what we do? We set the stage to fail tomorrow. People treat the will of God as some mystical thing that you just kind of, uh, The best way I know how to describe it is bumper pool. Now, I don't understand the actual game. I just know what happens when those balls hit the bumpers in the middle of the tape. They go everywhere. And they keep bouncing all over the place. And I guess if you're good at it, you should be able to control where the ball bounces once it hits the bumper. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents got me a little race car. And uh, it was battery powered and it had a set of wheels in the front that actually pulled the race car along and they spun in a circle. Uh, so it would go bang and those once it hit the wall it would bounce back because the wheel and the wheels would spin and catch it and pull it in another direction until it went bang and then it would keep oh it was hilarious to watch in the kitchen with the chairs and the table legs and I mean just bang 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 and most people treat the will of God that way I'm just going to keep bouncing until I fall in a hole somewhere and then I know it's the will of God or I'm just going to keep bouncing until the battery runs dead. Uh-uh. How about seeking first his kingdom? Do you think tomorrow would be better if you lived under the complete authority and direction of the king? Amen? Would it be better? That's the kingdom. How do I know that I'm in the kingdom? How do I know that I'm seeking His kingdom? Well, I'm seeking His righteousness. You know, somebody coined the phrase, of which I'm not very happy. What would Jesus do? And I know what they meant, but that's not the way to say it. Because I can't do what Jesus did. You know, when Jesus met a blind man, what did he do? He gave him sight. When Jesus met the lame, he healed him. When he met the leper, he cleansed him. When he met the tempter, he always won. The question is, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? How can I seek his righteousness? Well, if you've got to go to work tomorrow, be the best worker in the place. Not to please the boss. Nobody likes someone who does what they do just to get points with the boss. Hello? But if you're doing what you do to get seek the righteousness of Jesus Christ, maybe they would say of you as they said of Daniel, we're not going to find any occasion against him except it be with his God.
Woo! That would be a different kind of life to live, wouldn't it? And then we have the promise that all these things that we need are going to be added to us. I'll tell you, it's really interesting. I mean, I got a letter from our new insurance company saying, uh, we recognize the medical acceptability of Stephen being admitted to the hospital and will carefully monitor he had an acute appendicitis. Uh, the doctor said it's an emergency surgery. We've got to get him in. Well, the insurance company recognized that that was okay. But this letter is no guarantee of payments. Everything will be, you know, evaluated uh, as to plans and coverage. And You know what? You could really get worried about that stuff if you wanted to. And there's a part of me that just says, what's going to happen next? Well, maybe that's the reason I'm preaching the sermon today. Instead of worrying about what the insurance company is going to do. Or, you know what a lot of people do? They just check out. Just turn off the brain. Turn on the boob tube. Whatever you do to escape reality. Some people do alcohol, drugs. All kinds of things. How about turning on the soul? In seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trusting that he will take care of these things. Because you know something? Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If we want to take a moment and just touch David's life again, there was another day when David wasn't thinking about the things he ought to have been thinking about. And David committed terrible and horrific sins against God and against his nation and against those who loved him most. Why? Because on that day, he wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He wasn't offended at the things that God was offended at. And therefore, he became an offender of God. Are we together on this? Not a complicated sermon this morning. We cannot determine the future. Nor should we be so occupied in our life and our thoughts. If we would stop trying to do those things which belong to God's realm of authority and start diligently pursuing His kingdom and His righteousness, God has placed Himself under obligation to supply that which His citizens need to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Do you believe that? Can you say amen? amen? You see, the promise is that all these things that we need will be supplied if we'll seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And you know what? As a pastor, I have to remind myself of this constantly. And so that tells me, as members of the church, you need to remind yourselves of this constantly. Because it's endemic to the human race. We know what we need, and we need to seek those things. But the Bible says the way to have those things provided is to trust God. By seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If I am not paying attention to where I'm walking today, I'm going to fall. And I'm going to be that much more unprepared to follow him tomorrow. Paul put it this way. And such trust have we through Christ to God word, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Do you get that? When I set my own standards, when I set my own to-do list, when I set things up and say, if I can do all these things, I'll be righteous, we just... Put a hamper and a hindrance on our relationship to God because we're trusting in ourselves. If, in the other hand, we'll seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, our sufficiency is of God. He supplies every need, He gives us what we need to serve Him. And He also takes that soul grinding pressure of trying to figure out how we're going to solve the world's problems. And he carries it for us. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that truly you would teach us and help us to make our sufficiency of you. The Lord, we would strive To be good citizens of your kingdom, seeking your righteousness. Lord, we ask that decisions that need to be made would be made today during this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, Brother Franz. Come lead us in the hymn of invitation.